of the Stalk and I podcast is finally here. The podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood. Series 5 is dedicated to donor conception. I speak to a number of donor-conceived people, as well as experts on donor conception, to cover a wide range of topics on this subject. Today's guest is Kiara, donor-conceived adult from a solo mum who's writing a book all about her experiences. Kiara, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Really looking forward to finding out about your story. Before we get into the questions, would you like to give yourself an introduction? Yes, of course. So my name is Kiara and I am 24. I'm from Chicago in the US and I was raised by a solo mom. She was approaching 40 and really wanted to pursue having children Um, And she knew that she could do it all alone. Obviously, she had a lot of questions and a lot of things that she was trying to figure out, but she had my brother and myself both through a sperm donor. She told me at a very young age my story and how I came to be and that she loved me so much. So I've always known that I'm donor conceived. And in the last two years, I've been on a journey to find some of my donor siblings and my donor. So it's been a whirlwind um, and I'm very excited to chat about it today. Amazing. And is your brother older or younger than you? He's two years older, so he's 26. So 26 years ago, that's quite, you know, I'm sure there weren't loads of people doing it at that time. So your mum was quite leading the way on this a little bit. Yes. I, she often says, you know, it's so, it's so great what you're doing. And, you know, there's groups out there for solo moms and, you know, people that are um, kind of doing this on their own and just taking the world by force. But you're right, there was not a lot of resources back then. Because I think, and I hope it's getting easier for donor-conceived people because there are more people. Um, so, so there's more people to connect with in the same situation than perhaps there was. Did you know anybody else donor-conceived as you were growing up? I did not. Um, I did know, you know, there were some people in our community that had um, solo parents for other reasons, you know, maybe they had a parent pass away or um, other reasons. And then we had some families that used, um, that I later found out that they had used donor conception um, that are same sex parents. And we also had a neighbor down the street, and I didn't know this until about a year ago. He has a mom and a dad, and they also used um, a donor to conceive him because they were having some fertility issues, but it's interesting because my mom knew and she had said it at, when we were younger, her and our neighbor would talk about it and how they were going to explain it to their kids and all that. Um, but yeah, so it's fun now as I'm growing older, meeting more people that are in a sim- similar situation. Yeah, amazing. So let's start at the beginning then. So can you remember what your, how your mum talked to you about being donor conceived? Absolutely. So she tells this story that when she was in the hospital with my brother, she was telling the nurse, you know, I am a solo mom. I'm a single mom by choice. And I'm, I use a donor to conceive my son and I'm, I'm here and I have this wonderful family around me to support me. And the nurse was just in awe. And she said, you know what, that's an amazing story. You need to tell your kids about this from the beginning. So How my mom phrased it when we were younger is mommy wanted a baby. So mommy went to the doctor and the doctor helped her have you. Um, The doctor gave her medicine. And, you know, as I grew older and understood a little bit more the biology behind a baby, she 
um, introduced the donor concept as well. So I think my language grew as I grew up, but you know, I've always known from the beginning that my mom loved me and she wanted me and that there were some special people that helped make that happen. Amazing. And was your mom, do you think she was quite confident in the situation? Because I know some people I speak to are like, oh, they're, they're sort of doubting themselves a little bit and worrying that the child might pick up on that. Do you think your mum was quite confident in the story? I think she was confident in her decision, but there was a lot of unknowns and questions that she had. Um, you know, like she says, I didn't know how I was going to teach my son how to pee, you know, so things like that that she was not sure about, but she knew that she loved us and that she would do the best that she could for us. So you only ever remember hearing the story in a very positive, um, you know, secure way. I'm putting words yes. in your mouth. but <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And do you know when you were younger, if you understood the concept of a donor? Um, I don't think when I was super young, um, just because, again, when I didn't know that an egg and a sperm created a baby and, you know, what genetics were and all that. But I did understand that there was, you know, someone out there that helped make me, whether, you know, it was the doctor that gave my mommy medicine, quote unquote. Um, so I feel like I knew that my mom had made a decision and there was people that were pertinent to that story. Um, but yeah, when I was younger, I definitely didn't understand what a donor was. And my mom, luckily, I mean, honestly, she was very open. So any questions that I had, um, she answered for me, which was really nice. So you felt you could talk to her about the situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose you've had your brother as well, who was in a similar situation. Did you guys ever talk about it? Or? Um, not as, again, it was very normal to us. You know, I thought that being donor conceived was a normal thing, a cool thing. And I feel like when you think something's from an early age, it just becomes a part of your identity and you don't think anything of it. So um, when we were younger, I don't think we thought too much of it. But I think as we grew older, um, and we talked about, you know, what other role models besides my mom did we have in our life that maybe helped us um, grow into who we are today. So I feel like there's definitely times where we could confide in each other. And that was very nice. Um, and my mom says that that's um, why she decided to have a second child because she was approaching 42. And so it was kind of getting to that point in time where she might not be ha able to have a child. Um, so she had decided to have me just so, again, she could give my brother um, a sibling to confide in as well. I think for me, it's so nice to hear you say that that's just like, it was just our reality of growing up and it was so normal because that was 24 years ago. So like <laughs> the times have moved on as well. So you would really hope that then children now, that absolutely can be the possibility that this is just absolutely just the way it is. And it's not really a massive story. It's just a different way um, to some other people, really. So that's really reassuring to hear. Absolutely. And I feel like when you talk about something, you know, when society talks about something, it destigmatizes it. You know, it takes yeah. the shame out of having this different family, right? Because, you know, the traditional family is no longer what it used to be. Traditional is, untraditional is now traditional, and I love that. So that's why I like to share my story and what's so important, what you're doing and some of the other people that are talking about it. So it gives other people a voice to talk about their family and see their family represented elsewhere.
Brilliant. And so do you ever remember being asked about, you know, where your father was um, by school friends or by other people? Did you have to answer that question? I did. And, you know, I think it's just, you know, kids being curious. I get it when they see something that's different than what they know to be their truth. They want to ask about it. And I do have this distinct memory. I was in fifth grade and this boy named Danny um, is just funny how I remember his name and just being in elementary school asked me, you know, why don't you have a father? And I told him exactly what I knew, you know, well, my mommy wanted me. So she went to the doctor and the doctor gave her medicine and now she had me. And he just responded with, so your medicine. Um, and that was just a funny story that I look back on. But again, I think when you equip child, children with the language to share their story, they're comfortable doing that. So I think questions are inevitably going to arise, but being able to talk about it open and freely kind of gave me at least the answers to those kids' questions. So the main thing is you feeling confident that if people ask you that question, you've got the answer, you know how to, to respond to it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I would say. And did you ever feel like there was anyone missing in your life? Did you feel like, you know, not having that father figure there was challenging for you at all? That's a great question. Um, I would say at certain times, yes, but only because of maybe what society had put out there, right? So, you know, there's daddy-daughter dances in school that I find slightly ridiculous. Um, I think society is being better about not having the traditional like, oh, this is only for dads and their daughters. So this is only for moms and their, and their sons or vice versa. So I think in those particular moments, I felt a little left out um, and wondered, you know, why do I not get to do those things? Or why was that not made for me? But I had um, male role models who, and female role models, honestly, all the way around. A lot of times my mom would just step in and be like, all right, we're going, this is going to be great. And then other times um, we had a family friends that, or maybe friends, parents that would say, hey, you're going to come with us. It's going to be great. Amazing. That's so good. I think that's something that I've explored a little bit because um, I originally started off saying, you know, you can get in place male role models so that there are people in your life and then I read this book called Life Isn't Binary which was talking about how we put so much emphasis on gender and actually mm -hmm. it's about having role models not necessarily it doesn't really matter what gender they are just having other people in your life that you can turn to for different things but like you say society has made that hard in the past because they we've put gender roles on things but but i agree i've seen that changing a bit which makes it easier yeah i feel like it's so wonderful that you know times are changing language is changing and just um people are more comfortable to you know take gender out of it which i love my mom actually um she was my brother's boy scout troop leader so for the entire boy scouts in our town she was her and our other neighbor who's also a woman, they were the troop leaders. And that was just normal. And, you know, they didn't pick them because of their gender. They picked them because they were going to do the best job that they could. Amazing. I love that. 
And so talking about language, so the importance of language, I know there's lots of differing opinions on the right language to use. And it can be confusing, to be honest, because th there is no universal agreement on language and which is the right language. And so I suppose the conclusion I've come to is the main thing is to give your child choice so that they can decide. But what language do you use to talk about the donor? Do you say donor? I do say donor. Um... So I say donor, I've heard, especially from people maybe finding out a little bit later in life, they'll say, you know, my bio dad or my biological father or, or whatnot. Um, the language that I grew up with was, or that my mom equipped me with was my donor. And then I call my siblings, either my siblings or my donor siblings. I know some people call them half siblings. So I feel like language has changed, but as you mentioned, giving children the opportunity to choose what language they use and, and use the language that they're most comfortable with. You know, not every family may use the same language. Um, and it, I think it's always okay to ask, hey, what do you refer to your child's um, donor or as so I can use the right language? So I feel I've been very appreciative to people who have asked that question as well. Amazing. And so leading on to that, so I don't know the legislation from when your mum chose a donor. Was that anonymous or was that, what was the yes, situation? Very, very anonymous. So she used right. California Cryobank, Sperm Bank, and that was pretty much the only option, at least going through a sperm bank back then. And so have you tried, do you, have you got any information? So when I was younger, I had a on a piece of paper, just in my mom's chicken scratch, you know, height, weight, occupation, eye color, and background, like origin. Um, and so that's kind of what I grew up with for about 22 years, 23 years. And then I decided to do 23andMe a little over two years ago um, to see if I could find donor-related family. And it was less about, you know, finding a dad or finding something I was missing, but I was just curious to see if there were anybody else out there that looked like me. So I have since found about 17 donor siblings and I have found my donor as well. Okay, wow. And so how did you feel um, finding out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think at first, so um, when I first did 23andMe, I had one, I found one sibling right away. So I was able to and that was my first experience. You know, I had no idea um, if I would find anyone I, or I would find a bunch of people. And so I found one sibling and connected with them immediately. And we had met in person and it was just the most wonderful connection. It's so hard to explain because when you meet a stranger for the first time, you often don't share, you know, your entire life story or your thoughts and feelings and fears. But with uh, my donor sibling, I, I feel like we shared all of that right away and just had this connection. Um, and then a few months later, I found another sibling. And then about a year after that, I found one sibling who had connected with like 10 other siblings and our donor through donor sibling registry because our donor had registered on there and a bunch of other siblings had too. So then I had found all of that at once. And that was slightly overwhelming. Yeah. I just remember like sitting and in emotion and excitement and just, and wanting to know more and right away about everyone. So a lot of questions and our donor was completely open, which I feel very appreciative and blessed. You know, he said, I didn't want any of you 
to go without having answers to your questions if you had any. So he has been really open to answering your questions, which has been really nice. Amazing. And it must be quite reassuring because if you find the donor on the genetic site, they obviously were okay to be found. You know what I mean? Yes. So then it reassures you a little bit that, that well, they've registered themselves on there. So, um, so that must be a bit reassuring as well. So where are they? Are they, are they scattered around? They are. So a lot on the East Coast of the United States. Um, we have a few in New York and Virginia, Midwest, and then we have California, Texas, you know. So it is kind of fun that they're all over the place and we say, you know, we can just travel around the country and, okay. and get to visit each other. And have you had any face-to-face meetings? So we had a meetup about a couple months ago in September of 2021 and there was eight of us and there was mostly women and and one of our brothers so and it was just wonderful I think what was nice each of us had met at least one other person in person so I had met one of my sisters and then three of my sisters had met each other and then my brother and another sister had met each other so no one came into it I think blindly um but it was very fun to just sit at a table and and chat about our backgrounds and we all have different um familial backgrounds you know some people have one parent some people have two some people have two parents of different genders or two parents of the same gender so it was just wonderful to have that common connection but also share our differences as well um and what about the donor has he met anybody or He has met two of my sisters. So some of them had done, or their parents had put their information out there because they had their donor number. So my mom did not have a donor number to ID with. So on donor sibling registry, um, it's fairly easier if you have the donor number. So they had that and our donor had that. So a bunch of them had connected um, in some of my siblings' teenage years, late teenage years. So he had met two of my sisters. and since we, I found out about him, we've spoken on the phone and he just mentioned how kind of like a surreal experience that was, you know, he has two children of his own and he said that he watched them grow up and, and meeting all of us as adults is really exciting. And, but he also wishes, you know, he got to see all that, but he's happy that he was able to help create a family. And if we have any questions for him, he's there. Which is an amazing situation to be in. And do you, how do you feel about, um, I mean, you can't go back in time now, but meeting people younger, what age did you start wondering about donor siblings? Great question. Um, so I, I feel like when I was younger, I didn't understand that I might have other siblings out there. It was more about, oh, I think I would like to see a picture of my donor just to yeah. see what they would look like. And that probably started in middle school, I would say middle school to early high school. And then later in, so I guess in college, I feel like when I was in college is when consumer DNA testing kind of just exploded. And that was the first time I thought that it would be an opportunity to actually find donor related individuals. Because when I was growing up, my mom said, you know, I, I don't, this is all the information I have and I'm, I'm giving you everything that I have and I'll support you um trying to find any other information um and so i think what's different now is obviously parents have the opportunity to maybe find those um donor related siblings or have a little bit more information about the donor earlier on 
And so it's interesting, and I know it's also probably hard to now figure out what to do with that, right? Because times are changing and now information is more widely available. It's, it's so hard. So because I've spoken to so many people, I have to say the vast majority have said they would have liked to be connected with donor siblings at a younger age and almost like growing up together, particularly because for my daughter, I know that all of her donor siblings are, are like the same age. They're all within yeah. two or three years of each other. Um, and also because I used a sperm bank a smaller one linked to my um, clinic, probably mm-hmm. they'll all be local. So they'll all be in the, you know, the UK is small. <laughs> it'll all yes. be in, a, a, you know, the north of the UK. So it will be relatively local. So some people said you should wait and give your daughter the chance to decide. But the problem with that is that she'll be so old when she understands to make that decision. Mm -hmm. So speaking to people, I've decided to try to find donor siblings of which I haven't been successful yet after a lot of effort, but I continue the effort and she will have the choice of whether she wants to continue to connect with people um, or not. But I, I feel like if I wait, then she'll have missed some years that could have been amazing. Yeah, it's so hard. Um, I also, when I started sharing my story on social media and creating a website and to share my story a little bit more. I had a friend of a friend who is reached out and, you know, she has a four-year-old and a two-year-old boy. And, and she had asked my thoughts on that question exactly. And, and, you know, she had concerns and questions and it's hard because also, as you mentioned, you know, when a child would be able to make that decision, it would be a lot later. You know, some of my siblings, parents put that, like entered their information on um, donor sibling registry at an earlier age and, and the parents started talking. So some of my siblings' parents had been talking to each other when they were around, you know, 11, 10, 11, 12, right. and had exchanged emails and whatnot, photos. And then when the child, when my siblings became a, a little bit older, they said also, you know, I found um, some of your siblings, would you like to get in contact with them? So, you know, it, it's hard to know the right thing to do, yeah. but I think as long as we're open and honest and, I think that's that's the way to go. How, how do you feel about that? That like if you know that approach of giving them the information. Yeah, I think so. My brother and I are a little bit different in the fact that he isn't trying to pursue donor family as much as as I am. Um, so I feel like if we were given this, this opportunity, you know, at an earlier age, I would have probably, you know, jumped at the chance and he probably would have been like, you know what? I think I'm okay. So that's what I do like about having a choice in the matter, just because, you know, kids might be different and they might want different things. So, and I, I mean, yeah, we probably would have chosen different things, but I would have definitely liked to meet them a little bit earlier, but I'm glad that I've found them now. And what is your definition of family? How do you feel? Do you feel like they are part of your family? How do you feel about it? I do. And again, my brother and I have different definitions of family. Me and other people in society have different definitions of family. But my main definition is DNA does not make a family, but it also can. Right. So to me, um, I have, you know, best friends that I've known my entire life that are absolutely my family. And I'm as close to them as I am my brother and my mom and, you know, people that have been there for me my entire life. So I just think people that are there to support you and love you and, and you that are that for them as well, that's your family. So we call it chosen family because regardless of 
DNA relation, you are choosing an active relationship with that person. So my donor siblings and I, not all of them, but the ones that I've made contact with are choosing a relationship with each other. And I think that that's the, the beautiful thing about it is you're making that choice and that effort. Amazing. And then um, because of this journey you've been on, you've decided to write a book about it. Tell yes. me a bit about that. Yes. So a little over two years ago when I found my first sibling, um, there was a couple things that happened. So I, I did 23andMe and I found out that I had a sibling on New Year's Day. So, you know, I did 23andMe, New Year's Day, New Year, I had just, you know, had a few drinks to celebrate the new year. I get this email saying that I had a sibling. So like that story and then, and finding another sibling. And, you know, I also had a sibling who did not know that they were donor conceived and they found out through a DNA test. So my story is similar to some people's and also different to others, but I feel like what it has is kind of all aspects of being donor conceived, at least, you know, back 20 plus years ago, but also it has given me such a unique outlook on family that I want to share that with others. And I think when you're vulnerable and you share your story, it allows others to share theirs as well. So um, I'm probably 75% done. The reason I thought this was going to be an easy project, I was a little bit ignorant in that fact, but the story continues, right? I have created a relationship with my siblings and we just had this meetup a few months ago and I have talked to my donor on the phone in the most in recent time. So the story is changing and it's evolving. Um, so I feel comfortable now that I can finish it. And I feel like I have answers to some questions that I was seeking. So I have put out um, just some information about myself on a website and social media, just sharing my story a little bit in a video. And as I'm trying to share my story, hopefully it will also come out in book form in the coming years amazing well that'll be amazing for my audience because i think so many solo mums want to get educated and hear the voices of donor conceived people particularly who've been brought up by a solo parent mm -hmm. um so yeah that'll be great can't wait to to hear more about it thank you and for the people that listen to this podcast um do you have any advice for people who are solo parents um, on, you know, the best things to do or the best learnings that we can, that we can have? I guess a few quick tips. One, I think being open and honest and answering any questions that come to you, you know, your kids love you and, and they may just because they have questions doesn't invalidate you as a parent. You are their parent. You are their everything. Um, so I was very fortunate enough to have a mom who, who answer my question and supports me and my decisions. Um, I also think asking for help, you know, even having a, two parents and raising children is hard. Having three parents or all the parents is hard. So I think asking for help and really surrounding yourself by a supportive um, environment and, and your child, you know, your child needs more than just you. They love you and you love them, but also I feel like they need other people they can confide in and, and look up to. Um, and then just be confident, you know, you are powerful and you're making a choice to start a family. And I think that's unbelievably wonderful. So I think just, um, having the confidence to say, you know what, I'm a solo mom and, and I'm raising my kids and this is going to be great. And, you know, sometimes there may be some tough times, but that's okay because we have love and that's, what's most important. I love that. Amazing advice for people.
great. Anything else that I haven't asked you that would be useful to share? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there are, people have so many questions out there, you know, especially how much the donor conception and just reproductive industry has changed in the past 20 years. Um, I think just keeping, keep asking questions and hopefully with more voices out there, more people sharing their story, we will continue to fight any stigma or any notion that our families are not traditional. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting to me. Really, really interesting. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd take a few minutes to rate, review and subscribe. If you'd like to learn more of what's on offer at The Stork and I, head over to my website, thestorkandi.com or follow me on Instagram at thestorkandi with underscores between the words. You can hear more about the coaching I offer as well as hear from donor-conceived adults, industry experts and the opportunity to meet and become a part of the Solo Motherhood community.